0: I'll be reading the entire chapter of John chapter 21, and I invite you to stand with me as I read the word of God this morning, and it is indeed the word of God. It's not simply a history book. It is telling us history this morning, but this is the living and abiding word that we have from the eternal God himself. It's true forever. It's a life-giving, precious gift, and I pray that we all will receive it as such this morning. Let's hear this word from John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So the saying spread among the other brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we come to our end of our series on John's gospel, I want to take you back to the beginning for a moment. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you might want to turn back to John chapter 1. I want to remind you of how this gospel began, of what John first told us about Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 1. John started... By telling us that Jesus is the word of God. The eternal God. The creator of all things. The life and light of the world. And that his light shines in the darkness. At Christmas, this time of year, we remember, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of the son of God. The word made flesh. The prophet Isaiah said the people who walked in darkness... Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And Matthew, in his gospel account, tells us that this promise of light coming into a dark world was fulfilled when Jesus came. The light of God shone into the darkness of our world to bring hope and healing, to bring peace and life. But this light shining in the darkness was not limited only to the birth of Jesus Christ. It's ongoing. In fact, we see it here in John 21. Three times we read of Jesus being revealed. Jesus continues to manifest to us the glory of God, the light of God. And here at the conclusion of John's gospel, Jesus, the light of the world, the word made flesh, shines into the darkness of Peter's life, With both grace and truth. And that light shining in the darkness also did not end here in John 21. It did not end when Jesus ascended into heaven. God continues to this very day to shine the light into our darkness. He shines His light into the dark places of our lives, the places of our suffering, our sorrow. Our grief, our loss, our pain, our hardship, the hurt that we suffer from others. And he also shines his light into the dark places of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our regret, the hurt that we may cause others. And he continues to shine his light into our lives in a way that brings hope and healing, peace and life. We see that in John 21 this morning. Here we see Jesus tenderly shining the light of God into the darkness of our lives in powerful and personal ways to make us whole and to make us wholly devoted to him. I want to show you that from John 21. So let's look at how Jesus shines his light in a powerful and personal way in Peter's life in two ways, in both the miraculous catch of fish and then also in the walk and talk on the beach afterwards, we might say. So first we see Jesus tenderly shine the light of God in the darkness of Peter's life in a powerful way in the miraculous catch of fish. We'll pick up the story again in verse 4. Now remember, fishing was Peter's livelihood. It was his job before he met Jesus. And now he's been fishing all night and he caught nothing. It's a powerful picture of His need, his inability, his weakness. Listen again to verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. that The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So Peter and the other disciples had fished all night long. How many fish did they catch? None. Not a single one. They had failed. Their efforts were futile. And the first thing to notice is this. Jesus comes to them. They did not go to him. Jesus takes the initiative. He comes to them and he freely offers them his help. And they need his help. There's no record. John doesn't say that they had a prayer meeting. They didn't pray and ask God for help. Instead, Jesus comes to them. And the creator of all things does in an instant what they could not do all night long. An entire night of fishing, and what do they have to show for it? The darkness of their failure. The darkness of their weakness. But Jesus shows up, And does what they were unable to do. Cast your net on the right side. And immediately so many fish they cannot even haul it in. Beloved, God is able to meet your every need. And one bright eternal day he will. And he still shines his light into the darkness of our inability and our need today in powerful ways. We see it here in Peter's life. I have a, a personal example in my own life, a recent one, that you may think is silly, but so be it. It has to do with, not fish, but you could guess, with wood. Now many of you know, I've, I've told you before, that we like to heat our home with wood and also that Amy feeds us from our garden, not, not exclusively. We get food other places as well. But this, pa- this past year we haven't had either. So you know we're in a time of transition. We're living in Hershey right now. We bought this new house in Elizabethtown. It's being remodeled. It's still in the demolition stage, but hopefully tomorrow the building stage will start. So we're excited about that. But we've kind of been in this in-between stage. But Amy has started a garden at our new home. She's getting it Ready, And she's starting this new way of gardening. I don't know if any of you have heard it. It's called Back to Eden. So it's spiritual. It's going to be a really fruitful garden, right? It's called, it's called Bar- Back to Eden. And she, get, she got hooked on this, and there's, there's kind of a, a lot of prep work to get it started. So you just pick a spot in your, in your yard, and you, you don't have to till the ground. You don't have to get out the rototiller. So it's supposed to be less work you put down cardboard or, or newspaper, and then you have to cover it with this layers of dirt. So there's working that. And then you have to cover that with layers and layers of wood chips. So we got to that stage. We had the dirt, but we didn't have any wood chips. And I'm thinking, where are we going to find these wood chips? And we're asking around, we're looking around, and we don't want to buy them. I mean, that defeats the whole purpose of having a garden, right? You're trying to save money. So where are we going to get these wood chips? At the same time, I'm thinking, I don't have any wood to keep the house warm. And next winter, we're going to need a lot of wood. Where am I going to get all the wood I need to heat our home? So this is going through my mind. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to get worried. I am starting to get frustrated with the whole gardening process because I'm thinking this is supposed to save us work, not create more work. And unfortunately, I'm becoming a grumpy old man. I wasn't the, the kind, kindest person I should be. And, and that was coming out in my tone. But this is kind of what is going through my mind. This is happening throughout the fall. No wood chips, no wood. Where am I going to get this? I need so much. And then it was like one morning, basically, cast your net on the other side, and there's 153 fish. This is what happened. Right around the corner from our house in Hershey, on the road I drive every time when I commute from Hershey to Mount Joy, there was an entire field that had been cleared of the trees. And uh, and you just got to imagine how exciting this is for somebody like me. So all of a sudden there are trees down all over the place. And they're not just dropped, they're actually cut into smaller pieces. And not just the wood that I think keep me warm, but all the limbs and all the brush have been thrown through the wood chipper and there are piles upon piles. It's like I don't know 10 times this area just everywhere. Wood on the ground and wood chip piles everywhere more than I could ever need. And so I see this and I'm just like, "Oh my goodness, Look what the Lord has provided. And there's a sign. It says retail and residential coming soon. And there's a phone number. And so I call the phone number. Now I don't need retail or residential. But you know when it comes to these things I have no shame. So I'm like I don't need retail or residential. But I need wood and wood And they're like sure fine. Take all you want. And what, what just happened? What just happened there? That was the Lord providing. Beloved God is able to do in a. Second, a split second, a moment's notice, what we cannot, what we don't think is possible. I still am overwhelmed by this. It's like, you know, when we talk about sometimes the Lord having a sense of humor. Like, Troy, you need wood. You need wood chips. Well, <laughs> just you wait, right? Just you wait. You have, you have no idea where they're coming from. The next morning, boom, more than you can imagine, more than you could ever need. Take all you want. Peter, you haven't caught any fish all night cast your net on the right side one more time, and what? They couldn't even haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So listen, beloved, in the darkness of our inability, God shines his power. He can do what we cannot. In an instant, we can go from nothing, from utter failure, to having an abundance beyond our imagination, more than we could ever need. And I think Peter is, Jesus is showing Peter And he's showing us not only our utter need for him, our absolute dependence upon him, but he's also showing his generosity in meeting our needs, his kindness toward us. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And they hadn't even asked for it. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Why? What's the point? To draw us near to him. So that we can enjoy fellowship with him. For Peter and the disciples, this catch of fish ended with a meal with Jesus. He was drawing them near. And so we see not only that we have a a deep desperate need. And and God is able to meet that need and provide. But we we also see how God's children respond to God. And how we are invited and able to approach him. Because... He has shown his light into the darkness of our lives. Now to see this, we have to take note to how Peter responds to this catch of fish. And not just how he responds here, but we compare it to how he responded the first time this happened. Right? This is not the first time Peter has experienced this. This happened about three years earlier in his life. An almost identical situation. When Jesus was first calling Peter to follow him. You'll find it in Luke chapter 5. I'm not going to read it. I'll just summarize it there. But if you want to read it. It's Luke chapter 5. A large crowd had gathered. Jesus is just starting his public ministry. And there's so many gathered. That he, he takes Peter's boat. And he goes out into the water. To teach them from the boat. And so Jesus is teaching them. And Peter had been fishing all night long. And when Jesus is done Teaching, he tells Peter to put out into the deep and let his nets down for a catch. And Peter says, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything, but if you say so, I'll do it. And he does. And they catch so many fish, the nets are breaking. They need another boat to come over and help them gather all the fish. They put the fish in both boats. They're so full that the boats begin to sink. And how did Peter respond? He fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And Luke says, they left their nets and followed him. That was what happened when Jesus first called Peter. And Peter, you think he would have ever forgotten that? That's not something you forget, right? That's something you remember the rest of your life. And certainly, he would have been thinking about it now. In John 21, right? He would have remembered, this has happened before. But what is different this time is Peter's response. The first time, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And that was an appropriate response at the time. Because Peter was just learning who Jesus is. He was confronted with the holiness of Jesus. He was realizing for the first time, Jesus is no ordinary man. And he was seeing that that gap, that unbridgeable chasm between himself, his own sinfulness, and the holiness of God here seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it was the appropriate response at the time. But it's not the same as his response here, is it? It's not the response of someone who has come to deeply know the love and the grace of God in Jesus. How does Peter respond this time? Verse 7, look again. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. I love how John describes it. He threw himself into the sea. So what's Peter doing? Peter is doing everything he can to get as close to Jesus as he can, as fast as he can. And beloved, this is the response of the redeemed. This is what we are invited into. It's the response of those who know the love and the compassion and the provision of Jesus. As you grow in your Christian life, as you come to see the glory of Jesus, as he is revealed to you, his light is shown into the darkness of your life, yes, the depths of your sin go deeper. And it's not necessarily That you are sinning more and more or worse and worse than you used to. But you're more aware of it. You're more aware of the depths of the wickedness in your own heart. But at the same time, as that awareness grows also, the heights of Jesus' love reach higher. And it's not that he loves you more than he used to. You're simply becoming more aware of how wonderful his love is for you. And then you are seeing how Jesus bridges that gap, and he invites you in. And so the result is not, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But the result is, with joy, with confidence, you throw yourself into the sea. You want to get as close to Jesus as fast as you can. This is how Hebrews describes it for us. Hebrews chapter 4, because of what Jesus has done for us, he says... Beloved, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a great need. And that's when we can draw near. Later in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's not confidence in ourselves. It's because of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. By the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith. So Jesus tenderly shines the light of God into the darkness of Peter's life in a powerful way that invites him to draw near. Beloved, how do you respond? How do you respond when Jesus shines his light into the darkness of your need and your inability? May you trust in his provision. May you cast yourself on him and draw near to him God can meet our every need he can meet your every need and one bright eternal day indeed he will and our greatest need is a restored relationship with him it's a restored relationship with the god who made us and this brings us to the second second encounter that peter has with jesus So second, we see Jesus once again tenderly shine the light of God into the darkness of Peter's life, this time in a very personal way in his follow-up conversation with Peter. Look again at verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now John has mentioned a charcoal fire one other time in his gospel. And Peter no doubt would have been taken back to that moment when he saw this one. Peter gets to the shore and he comes upon this charcoal fire. And immediately he's he's a real man. This is real life. It's not make-believe story. Immediately his senses are engaged. Right, you can picture yourself there. He sees the fire. He can smell the fire, the smoke. He feels the heat. And perhaps his heart sinks. There may be an ache, a groaning inside. He may have to hold back the tears. Why? Because this scene is a reminder of his worst failure. The night, just days before, it hasn't been that long. Just days before when Peter betrayed Jesus, when he denied Jesus three times. It's in John 18, verse 17. Hear it again. Remember, Jesus has been arrested and Peter is kind of lingering on the outskirts. Wants to see what's happening, but he's there. He's there. And a servant girl comes up at the door and says to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, for the first time, I am not. And then John says, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So he's around that charcoal fire. And what happens? You're one of his disciples too, right? I'm not. Then later again, you're surely one of his disciples. I'm not. And a third time, I know you're one of his disciples. Around this fire, I am not. And now on this beach, around another charcoal fire, in his follow-up conversation with Peter, Jesus is shining the light of God into the darkness of Peter's life. He's expressing, experiencing his worst moment. It's being exposed before him. His utter failure. His greatest sin. And why is Jesus doing this? Not to shame Peter. But to draw him near. To heal him. To confirm his forgiveness of Peter. To show Peter the depth of his love for him. And indeed to restore him. Verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of John do you love me more than these and peter says yes lord you know that i love you and this happens 3 times now the gospel of john the new testament is written in the greek language and and some of you may know that john uses different greek words for the the word love here different word when jesus says peter do you love me and then a different word for love when peter responds so When Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? It's that word agape, which is often said to refer to uh, the fatherly God's love for us. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. I owe you, That, that brotherly love. And you maybe have been to Bible studies or heard sermons on this exchange that make a big deal of that difference in words. I heard one this week from a better scholar, better theologian, better preacher than me. Many of you would know his name. But I'm not going to make a big deal of that difference. I don't think it's the main point in this passage. And in my study this week, I also learned that John actually uses those words for love interchangeably throughout his gospel. So this is not the first time that he's done that. So I don't think there's as much significance to that as maybe we previously thought. But it does seem clear to me and to really all scholars who study and write about this passage that the main point is the three times that Jesus asked Peter this question do you love me? One time, for each time, Peter had denied Jesus. A clear parallel around the same charcoal fire. A clear parallel to powerfully convey to Peter that Jesus has forgiven him. Jesus loves him. And Jesus commissions him to serve as a leader in the spread of the gospel and the building up of his body, the church. And Jesus is so tender in this. He is tenderly shining the light in this dark place of Peter's heart so Peter would know that even there, in the worst moments of his life, Jesus loved him. And Jesus could and would forgive even That. And beloved, this is true for you who know him today as well. Those worst things about you that perhaps you don't even think you can talk about, that right now you might be mortified if anyone here learned about them. But Jesus knows about them. And he draws near to you tenderly to show you that he loves you, even in those places and those spaces where you feel the worst he draws near now this restoration was important for peter it was important for peter why so he could know the heart of god the love of jesus but also so he could know that he was restored useful in the kingdom of god and it was important for the other disciples so they could know that peter could serve and lead in the church Each time Jesus asks, do you love me? Each time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then each time Jesus responds by calling Peter to care for his people. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And this is the primary calling of a pastor. Of an elder in the church. And so, fellow elders, this is how we are to care for Christ's church. We must know That they are God's people. They belong to him. And we must know that one way we show our love for Jesus is by loving his people. And we must know that one of the greatest ways that we can love them is by feeding them with the word of God. This is a great encouragement to us as elders. And people of God, these are the kind of men that you ought to be on the lookout for, to nominate. For the office of elder, and to elect to the office of elder those who love Jesus, those who love you, and those who will feed you with the word of God. Now let's dig a little deeper into this this exchange between Jesus and Peter as we continue on. Verse fifteen: Jesus asked Peter, "Do you love me more than these?" Now, you may have noticed throughout our study on John's Gospel that. There are often multiple layers to what John is describing and teaching. And that is certainly true once again here in chapter 21. And the more than these could refer to really at least three different things. And maybe it refers to all three and John's multiple layers of meaning. But it could refer to the fishing boats and, and kind of that, that livelihood. Peter, do you love me more than you love fishing and that livelihood or it could refer to the other disciples Peter do you love me more than you love your friends here it could be either of those but it seems to make most sense to me to take it to mean this Peter do you love me more than these other disciples love me do you love me more than your brothers here love me I think that that helps us get at the heart of what's happening here because to understand this we have to remember the kind of man that Peter was He frequently compared himself to others and came out ahead in his own mind. In John chapter 13, Peter spoke of his desire to follow Jesus. And he loudly boasted to Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. You might remember Jesus asked him, Will you, Peter? Will you lay down your life for me? Luke records Peter's words to Jesus where he said that he was ready to go to prison and even to death with Jesus. And then Matthew tells us, That when Jesus tells his disciples, you are all going to fall away, Peter cannot remain silent. He speaks up and he says, not me, Jesus. Even if they all fall away, I will never deny you. I will never fall away. And Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times this very night. And Peter tells him, you're wrong. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So where is Peter's identity? Peter's identity is in what he can do for Jesus. One pastor said it this way. Peter was not basing his identity on Jesus' great love for him. Peter didn't see himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Instead, Peter was basing his identity on his great love for Jesus. Peter saw himself as the disciple who loved Jesus more than anyone else. And that prevented Peter from seeing the depth of his need for Jesus as his Savior. And he hadn't yet grasped the depth of Jesus' love for him. But Peter couldn't even live up to his own standards of discipleship. He thought he was the best. But he proved, at least in his own mind, to be the worst. Now John doesn't give us this detail, but both Luke and Matthew tell us that After Peter denied Jesus for the third time, he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He was devastated. The one who thought he loved Jesus more than anyone else, who thought he would do anything for Jesus, when he was asked by a lowly servant girl, he faced this potential suffering. He utterly failed in his devotion to Christ. But now Jesus comes to him. And with tenderness, he shines the light of God on this dark place in Peter's heart. So Peter will know, without a doubt, the depth of Jesus' love for him. Beloved, is your identity this morning based on your performance, on what you can do for God, the depth of your love for him? Jesus invites us to get off that performance treadmill. To ground your identity on his unmerited love for you. Your relationship with Jesus is not transactional. It's not earned. It's not dependent on your good works. It is instead secured by his love for you. Remember this summer Sunday school class, we memorized 1 John 4, 19. We love because... He first loved us. And sometimes we would write it wrong on the board. Jesus loves us because we first loved him. No, and we would kind of chuckle because we know that's wrong. But how often is that how we live? We think his love is a response to our love for him, but that's to get it completely wrong and backwards. We love because he first loved us. And beloved, when you are secure in the love of Jesus, when you see yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, you will love him in return. His love wins your love. It's like a magnet that draws you to him. Peter threw himself into the sea. Or maybe it's like that ocean tide. You are caught up in this powerful, powerful, current of the love of jesus that pulls you to himself even in the times when you might be fighting to get away now how is jesus able to love in this way how is he able to restore peter to bring him to god how is he able to bring us to god today peter john doesn't say this but it's told us in the other gospel accounts In his third denial he didn't just say i don't know the man he called down curses he swore that he did not know jesus How could Peter be forgiven for that? How could he be brought near after that brutal betrayal? Only because Jesus actually bore the curse in Peter's place on his behalf. Jesus really did, in his own body, on that tree, bear the curse of sin and death on Peter's behalf, on my behalf, on your behalf. Apostle Paul says it like this in Galatians three, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from the curse of law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And so Jesus, by his death on the cross, took the punishment for all our sin, even the worst of it the very worst of it. And in doing so, Jesus meets our greatest need. He reconciles our relationship with God. He brings us back to God. He restores us to peace and fellowship with God. And when you understand that, the more clearly you see this good news, the more you will love and follow Jesus. When you see that he alone can make you whole, he alone can bring you the hope and healing That you need in every area of your life. When you see he alone can make you whole. You will then be wholly devoted to him. And you will do anything. And everything for him. Even die for his glory. As Jesus tells Peter he will do. Well John wrote this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. We have studied and read words from someone who saw Jesus with his own eyes. He heard the things Jesus said with his own ears, and he wrote them down for us, and his testimony is true. It's true, beloved. There is life and light in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And when he shines, his light in your life, in the dark places of your life, in powerful and personal ways, your testimony will be true as well. And you will know that you too are the disciple whom Jesus loves. And that testimony and that truth, beloved, will change your life. It will compel you to follow Jesus, it will bring hope and healing to all the dark places of your life. And I say, Amen. May it be true. And come quickly, Lord Jesus, the light of the world.